Welcome to the ShakeOut Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Van Buskirk. Each week, Canadian running staff writer Maddie Kelly and I bring you the news, results, and drama from the exciting world of running. This is The Rundown. Wow, this has been one of the more complicated ShakeOut podcast recording setups that I've ever had, especially when two of the three people on the podcast are in the same building. However, we, I think, have made it all work. This so far seems to be going properly. Um, Two and a half years into this job, and I am still on a regular basis encountering technical difficulties that are just good challenges for me to learn how to overcome. So this was one of them. But welcome to our third rundown of May. Maddie and I are in different countries now in different time zones after a couple of weeks in relatively the same place. Maddie, where are you joining us from today? I am joining you from Lake Kamenisgeg in uh, Cumbermere, Ontario. This is my family's cottage and my quarantine location for the next 11 days. I am now three days in to my quarantine. Woohoo. And there's lots of people like Reed Coolset who you can turn to for some quarantine advice. Although your setup, frankly, at a cottage on a lake sounds superior to him being in a basement with his two young kids at the top of the stairs that he is not allowed to hug. So no. <laughs> take from that what you will. I'm a, it is not lost on me that I'm incredibly lucky. Um, this, I really, you know, if I had to quarantine and I do, there is no better place to do it. Well, I'm really glad that you have a comfortable setup. And you are there with uh, training buddy, ongoing roommate, teammate, Lucia Stafford. Yeah, sort of life partner at this point. Um, it's, kind of, it's kind of like you and our other guest on this week's episode, Andrea Scaffian. Uh, I was going to say, speaking of work wives. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, uh, you and Andrea got to the States even before Lucia and I did. But yes, I have, like you two have spent every single day together. I have also spent every day with Lucia. Shared a bedroom, actually, up until a few nights ago for an entire month. So we're close. Must feel nice to have some of your own space. Yes. Very happy for you. Um, Well, speaking of not sharing bedrooms, the irony of our current setup is that Andrea and I are in the same building at the moment in our second home in Flagstaff, Arizona at the Senesta Suites, 1400 North Country Club Drive, (laughs) where we have been for uh, mainly the last five weeks. But we are separately in our bedrooms right now because we decided that recording together with one microphone and two Zoom calls was just not going to work. So anyway, hi, Andrea. Hi, Kate. (laughs) Long time no see. I know. So, of course, we have Andrea on the show this week because how could we not? She is our new 10K Canadian national record holder. <laughs> whoop, whoop. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah, it does sound good. It's got a nice ring to it. Yeah, it's happening. <laughs> it's happening. And the three of us kind of, well, I, I was going to say we missed an opportunity. I will say, listeners, I made a real effort. We traveled last weekend, as you, as most of you know, to California for this meet that all three of us were competing in, I packed up both laptops, a studio microphone with its 20-foot cord, my interface, all of the corresponding cords, my headphones, you know, brought it all with me in my little travel size suitcase to California and did not use it once because there just were not opportunities in this jam-packed COVID safety protocol laden weekend to pull out the mic. I would also like to interject that... uh 
if anyone listening isn't aware yet, Kate had the race of her life. Mm -hmm. And due to having the race of her life, where she ran under 15 minutes for the 5K and under Olympic standard in her first 5K in three years, kind of exploded her brain. Uh, So we will allow her a few days to process what she and her body did. So that might be part of the reason why we also didn't use the recording equipment. Thanks, Maddie. I appreciate that. It is true. My brain was not functioning for about 24 hours. So I hope we'll be we'll be forgiven. But here we are on Thursday. Um, The three of us had a, I would say, collectively very successful weekend in Irvine, California, all circumstances considered. Um, And so this is kind of a little belated celebration of that and recap of the last week of racing all across the world because we had Canadians competing in the US and also in the Czech Republic, amongst other places. So we're really glad that Andrea can join us from across the condo (laughs) (laughs) on this call. But maybe we should start with a recap of the sound running track meet because that is where the three of us competed Maddie in the 800, myself in the 5,000, and Andrea in the 10,000. And Andrea kicked the whole darn shebang off with the most, hands down, the most thrilling race I have ever had the privilege of being present for. I got to say on a personal note, I've been training with this chick. I knew she was super fit. I knew she was ready to do something really cool. The old record, Andrea, is what? The old record in Canada for the 10,000 was what? Was 31, 41. Uh, by Natasha Wodak in 2015. And Olympic standard? Was 31.25 flat. And your personal best coming in to this meet? Was 31.45 from January of this year. Okay. So goals were to take at least 20 seconds off of that personal best to get under that Olympic standard, which would inherently also give you the new national crown. (laughs) Yes. In the event. <laughs> and so I, I again, I just got to say, I knew Andrea was really fit and ready to do something really cool, but I am not a 10,000 meter runner. And so I didn't have a huge frame of reference for this, but needless to say, she nailed it. She blew it out of the water. She was my biggest hero. It was so fun to watch. So Andrea, I think we should start with you and maybe have you take us through like the, the lead up mm-hmm. and the circumstances that you found yourself in, in this race and then how it all went down. Well, firstly, it was great to have you there, Kate. You were a massive help. She said (laughs) the lap splits for every lap, which was super helpful because I can't do math while running. So I knew um, where I was and how fast I was going, which is very helpful. So yeah, I ran 31.45 in January, which was my first attempt in Australia, which given the race, I felt... That was like the best I could have done. Um, obviously not the standard, but a good start. And then I wanted to come to Flagstaff before a race. There were two races, either May 9th or May 14th. Um, so yeah, Kate and I trained together for the whole month. We did some crazy <laughs> sessions, which I <laughs> honestly thought there were some typos in there, but... <laughs> We did them. <laughs> I just got to say, every time Andrea would tell me what her prescribed workout was on a Saturday morning at 4,500 feet yeah. of altitude, we would both look at it like three or four times and be like, did he really mean that? Or was was that typed wrong? Like, surely that's not correct. Surely he like 
added too many laps or something. And then Andrea would be like, well, I guess I'll give it a shot. And then she would do it. <laughs> like she yeah. would just accomplish it to a T and she'd be like, well, I guess I'm fit. Yeah. A lot, honestly, like a lot of times where I was like, I honestly don't know how I did that. Like, which is cool. Like I, I've never really had that to feel just like I was like running out of my mind in sessions. So anyways, training was going great and I was feeling very confident. However, there is this drama about what race I was going to run. This has actually been like an extremely stressful month, but I just kind of like somehow held it together. So there are these two races that were one week apart and the race director of the first one just wasn't really giving much info. And I had heard it was going to be a 3115 race, but didn't know who was in it. Um, so I just began running around Flagstaff, asking everyone where they were running and like emailing agents and just trying to figure out where a 10k was going to happen, which eventually it became clear that this main 14th race would be the one. So that was great because I knew that Kate was going to be racing there and we could just go there together. Upon arrival, I found out that there was no pacer set, which was also extremely stressful and began Instagram messaging every single person in this race. Like, what is your plan? Are you trying to run 3125? Just trying to figure out who would be like willing to go for it. And then they added a pacer for two miles at like the last minute the night before which was better than nothing. But in my mind, I sort of thought like, you can't run a good 10k without a pacer, at least two pacers, like to 5k at the bare minimum. So I was like, very, very stressed. I almost didn't race, to be honest, I almost switched the 5k. Because like the night before, like, yeah. like we are sitting in the hotel <laughs> like room the night before Andrea's race. And she was like, I don't know what event I'm doing. And I don't know if I'm racing tomorrow or the next day. <laughs> Yeah. And also I should just jump in because for some context, part of the reason this was so confusing is like more than half of the women in your race were Americans who were going after the Olympic trials qualifying standard, which was a full minute slower. It was 32.25. So Andrea was like, who's trying to run the Olympic standard versus the Olympic trial standard? Is there a pacer going for which of these standards? It was chaos. It was mayhem. Yeah, it was the worst. I would not suggest any of this happening to anyone before a big race. Um, so eventually I just decided that Sarah Hall would be my savior and because she's a great front runner and I just felt like that made sense. And so I slept on it and I woke up and I decided that I would just lead the whole race if that's what it came down to. Given that I was doing these sessions at altitude and Kate would do some of them, but some of intervals I would do alone. Yeah, like quite long intervals. And I felt like pretty comfortable leading. I did not know if I could run 7k alone. But I was like, you know what, I'm here. The weather's going to be good. We had come down from altitude, everything was planned. So I just did it. And yeah, the pacer did not make it two miles. She made it about five laps. And I was paying attention to what Kate was saying. And we were running 75, 76, which is good. We were a bit off already at 3K, which was not great. And no one else was taking it on. And I let this go on for like one lap. And I was like, all right, this is my time. <laughs> and I just took over and just tried to run 75 second laps like 
as perfectly as I could. And I think I led about 3K before realizing that there was this whole pack behind me because I thought I was alone, sort of. I thought maybe there was like one person, but there's literally like the whole race was still there. And that like, I don't know, I think it like broke my focus or something where I just became more fatigued knowing that everyone was just hanging out. And thankfully, Sarah Hall came around and she led two laps, which is great because then it just allowed me to like refocus. And then with 2K to go, we were still, I think, eight seconds off of the time. So I was like, right, we have to go now. And I just tried to run as hard as I could for the next five laps. And thankfully, it was fast enough. And I actually was shocked at how fast I ran because I thought, given what was going on, I thought I would run, honestly, like 31.24.9. Like, I didn't think I was going to, like, go well under the standard. So when I was coming up and it was like 31.10, I was like, oh, my God, which is why my post-race reaction is so ridiculous. (laughs) I broke COVID protocol. I did have my mask on, but I ran out onto the track. And the first words out of Andrea's mouth were, is this real life? I was like, yes, it's real life. You did it. You ran 31.13. I honestly couldn't believe it. Well, you also made like a fool of the rest of the field. Like you were literally like it was honestly like you guys are bad at running. I'm good at I'm good at running. I'm going to show you just how good at running I am. Like that was what the last 800 meters were. And these women are not bad at running. They're They're not bad at running. Yeah, they're very good at running. (laughs) Two other women behind Andrea went under the Olympic standard, which is fast, far faster than it's ever been. So, you know, yeah, these aren't chumps. But um, just to illustrate how good at running Andrea is, her second half of this race, so her second 5K, she ran in 1523. 1522 was the Olympic standard last time around for the 5K. Actually, 1524. <laughs> she would have broken the 2016 yeah. Olympic standard in the 5K in the second half of her race. Well, and that's also a testament for how far you've come, too, because I remember you trying to get that standard in 2016. At the time, we were part of the same training group. Well, I use that term loosely. We rarely train together, very different events. But I remember you, you know, it taking a few shots for you to get that standard. And it was a huge deal when you did. So that's actually nice. Thank you, Maddie. It did take me three times in 2016 to run that time. Um, And yeah, I'm like super happy that I could close like that. Um, I think that's what you have to be able to do on the world level, like probably do that twice. But yeah, it's just, I'm like really happy with where my fitness is. And um, that race obviously was like amazing. So. Well, Andrea, again, it was so fun to be there to watch you. It'll be fun to continue watching your season now that you have unofficially qualified for the Olympics in two events, because you currently have the fastest time in the country, of course, in the 10,000. And you also have the second, third fastest time in the country in the 5,000 Um, putting you currently in a qualifying spot to double at the Tokyo Olympics. And there's lots more to come. So that'll be really fun to continue watching. Maddie, we should, we should chat about your race because you (laughs) could have taken um, a page from the Andrea book about being your own rabbit. 
in fact, you were the rabbit. Both of you should have gotten paid <laughs> rabbit pacing fees for this event. Maddie, why don't you tell us your situation? Well, I actually had a rabbit for my race weeks before. You know, I didn't think that was an issue. Um, if I'd known it was going to be an issue, I probably would have called upon my uh, personal pacer, Lucia Stafford. However, uh, there was allegedly a rabbit. And pacing's really hard. And someone volunteered to do this for us and had every intention to, but it just didn't work out. My rabbit, unfortunately, just wasn't able to get out fast enough um, and never got in front of the field. And I was the one in first. So it was also my last race in the States and I was really hell bent on running standard. And so I wanted to do my very best to set myself up for success. Um, and I came through 400 a little too fast. I came through in 57. Ideally I would come through in 58. I know a second doesn't sound like much, but in an 800 it's, it's different. Um, I came through in 129 flat through six. So that was good. And then I just, the last like 70 meters of that race were hard. They were really, really hard. And, uh, I won and I ran the third fastest time of my life, but, uh, unfortunately did not end up running standard during my time in the States. And that was a really hard pill to swallow on the night of just, you know, being, uh, being close a few times now and going to going down to the States to, you know, with the exception of one race, uh, win three of them was not how I saw the trip going, but a few days removed, I have the perspective now to say like, I'm, I'm very proud of the running I did and I still believe it's there. And athletics Canada just announced a few hours ago that nationals are in fact happening and I will have more opportunities and, you know, we, we soldier on, but yeah, Saturday night was not the race I thought I was going to get, but you know, it's the race I was given. So we continue. Good perspective, Maddie. And again, because both of our guests are so humble, I should also mention that not only did Maddie lead from gun to tape in this 800 in Irvine, because the rabbit could not get out fast enough to get around her, it was also a windy night. And you are also in a completely different position, Maddie, than Andrea and I are in that you, I know Andrea has been racing a bit more this year in Australia, but not for a while. We've both been on this altitude camp. Maddie, you're coming off of what, like five weeks of pretty much continual racing and traveling all under the pressure, the pressure of it being an Olympic year and trying to, as you mentioned, hit that qualifying standard. So I think there was a lot of context in this event as well last weekend that um, it sounds like after some time and processing, you've been able to see as a real positive, but we're far from ideal conditions yet again for you. That's okay. We're, we're resilient. And I have to say this before we talk about Kate's result, because my, so I, I finished racing. I had sort of like a little freak out called my boyfriend, we talked, and then he called me again right after Kate ran. And he was like, that's, I honestly think the coolest race I've ever seen. Like he just like knowing how, like just like the injury and the difficulty Kate's had over the past few years. And then he told me the next morning that he actually had a dream 
that he came back and started running 15s again. And he was like, it was fully Kate inspired. Um, so I think that it was also hard. There was a DJ at the race. Kate ran amazing. It was hard for me to remain in my bad mood because so many good things were happening. And Kate's performance was massively inspiring. And so now, Kate, I would like you to talk about it. Thanks, Maddie. And by proxy, Jeremy, if Jeremy Ray decides to ever come out of retirement, I got some tips <laughs> because I can't tell you the number of people after my race last weekend who messaged me being like, oh, you're still running? I thought you retired like three years ago. And that's fair because I have not run a 5,000 since the summer of 2018. And I have not run a race since the summer of 2019, a year in which I ran a total of one race. Um, so it's been a while. I have not been on the scene. My name has not been, you know, known for much other than podcasting, which is fine. But yeah, this weekend was um, very redeeming. That's the word I've been using a lot. I'm really happy with the time. I ran 14.59. It was a 17-second PB. It was under the Olympic standard. It was under 15 minutes, which was kind of a nice cherry on top because I was pretty confident that I was in standard shape, but I had no idea whether, kind of like Andrea said, whether that was going to be like a hundredth of a second under the standard or like 10 seconds and a hundredth of a second under the standard. So it felt just really like gratifying to know that I... Someone messaged me something, which I, I've heard this phrase before, but I think it's just a, a really good thing for anyone to keep in mind who experiences a long period of challenge. Dreams delayed are not dreams denied. And I just thought that was really cool because there have been a lot of moments over the last three years where I have seriously contemplated retiring from this sport. My love for it hasn't waned, but it's, it's, it's hard when you don't have any positive results. Um, to keep you kind of buoyant. But the last seven months, I got to give a shout out to my boys in Toronto. This group of guys, we call ourselves Random Track Club. It's a mix of marathoners, 800, 800 meter runners, Matt Hughes, um, you know, just kind of this like ragtag group of guys who would show up with me in February at 630 in the morning when it was pitch black and hailing. And we would go out for our hard workouts and they would let me chase them around High Park. And um, just having that period of like fitness and stability and then this camp with Andrea at Altitude and like modeling her professionalism, which has been really, really amazing because Andrea is just like the consummate professional. And it was a good reminder for me about like lifestyle. Anyway, it all came together and it felt really good. And it's been kind of hard to contextualize. I think this could be a whole other podcast, so I won't go into this too much. But I do want to say that the shoes make a huge difference. And it's fun for me to finally be able to say that with some firsthand knowledge, because Maddie and I have been talking about the shoes on the podcast for the better part of a year, more than a year. And I've heard so many different opinions from so many different runners. And I can now definitively say from my own personal experience that the super shoes are very, very helpful on the track. And I just think it is an important framework to keep in mind when we try to contextualize current performances. Um, it's not detracting from anyone's hard work, anyone's heart, anyone's commitment, anyone's talent, but it is changing the landscape of our sport. And I think it is worth acknowledging. But again, that does not detract at all from the 
fact that Canadians are on fire. This meet was amazing. And we should go over some of the other results, starting with that first night of competition in the men's 10,000. Ben Flanagan broke 28 minutes for the first time. Man, that's got to feel good. He ran 27.49 to place seventh in that men's 10,000. Rory Linkletter was our other Canadian in the race. Um, He had, I think, a bit of a tougher night. He ran 29.18, which I'm sure he's not happy with. And he did post after saying that the track has not been good to him this year, but that he has really felt good about his road running performances. So I'm not sure what that means for him moving forward, but he's obviously a super talented guy and it'll be fun to continue watching him in whatever his next endeavors are. Maddie, do you want to cover the other track results? Yes. So Melissa Bishop on Saturday morning kicked things off with an amazing 1500 meter. She looked so strong. She ran 404 just off the Olympic standard, a PB by almost five seconds. And, you know, Melissa's for sure been capable of a time like that for a while. You're not running 157 flat if you can't run a very impressive 1500. However, in previous years, she would just run 115 early season and not touch it again. So this is maybe the first time ever that she is run a 15, run some eights and come back to the 1500. And it looks great. I mean, afterwards, she said it felt terrible. Uh, as an 800 meter runner who runs a very occasional 15, I agree. Uh, it hurts like 600 meters in and you've got just shy of a K to go. So I know that feeling and I really respect the results she had on that day. Uh, some unfortunate news from the men, Mohamed wiped out in the first 30 meters of his 1500. The field did not get called back and he made some lemonade coming back that evening to run the 5,000 meter, which he won handily. So, you know, an unfortunate morning result from Mo, but ultimately he took the opportunity to get a race in, in the afternoon. Um, but yeah, Mo's sort of struggle with the 1500 meter lives on and we hope that he has some better success in the event later this season. Gabriella Stafford also, her and Melissa kind of switched events for this weekend. Gabriella came down to run the 800 meter, just narrowly missing, breaking two minutes. She is yet to break two minutes for the eight I think she's actually run like 201 in an indoor 1K. So she can 100% break that barrier, but it'll probably take the right race and the right day. And as we know with the 800, you know, sometimes the first one feels ugly and then the second one feels way better. So I think if Gabriella takes even one more crack at this, 159 is certainly within her grasp. And then we had Natalia Hawthorne stepping down in distance a little bit. She had that amazing 5K performance Uh, two weeks ago, running 15.05. And she won the second fastest section of the women's 1500 last weekend uh, in 4.07, which I'm pretty sure is pretty much a a exact match for her personal best. And then I got to give mad props to Julianne Staley because she was in the same section of the 5,000 that I was in. Of course, she also hit Olympic standard, demolished it uh, last week on the 9th running 15.02. And in this race, she ran 15.01. So as Maddie would say, a little baby PB. But Julianne was great because she was someone that I actually worked 
quite a bit with in this race. And I keyed off of her. Um, she was just a really familiar person for me to be able to keep an eye on around the track. She ran a really smart tactical race. I know she was gunning for sub 15, but it's obviously right there. So whenever she chooses to race next, I think she's taking a little bit of a break because I think that was four five thousands in a row, which is a lot. Um, so I'm hoping that she recovers well, but I'm sure we'll be seeing her back out there very soon. And a brief Julianne shout out. That girl can grind. Like when you look at her body language and her face in the last hundred meters of a race, she is giving every ounce of every like muscle, blood cell, bone in her body to get to the finish line. And as someone who has struggled to be able to hurt that badly, oh my gosh, do I admire it. So Julianne, you're, you're an inspiration. I feel like Andrea can relate to that quite a bit as well. Like, again, just having to do it by yourself. Like, Andrea, what was it? It was something like, you're like, I can't believe I ran that fast. And then you're like, I think I just saw what I had to do in the last 200 and decided to go for it. Like, you were grinding pretty hard, too, in the last, I mean, 2K of that race. Um, What does it take to, like, find that edge to dig that deep when you're hurting so badly? So you run an entire 10K. (laughs) and you're two laps to go and you're like I just do not want to do this again that was honestly like a lot of motivation like I just did not want to do it again so like with with a k to go I knew I only had to run a 305 which I thought was very doable um but I also really wanted to like make sure of it so I just went as hard as I could with two laps to go so I think yeah it's just like the desire to run that time and get it done. And also just, yeah, like watching other people do like incredible things. I was honestly so inspired by Lyndon Hall running 359 alone. That was like the craziest, most amazing performance. And I was like, if if Lyndon can do that, I can, I can do this. Where does your mind go? Like, do you like some people go into their body where they're like, I have to turn my brain off just like pump your arms or like pick up your knees, like dry, like fast feet. Like, do you have any of those cues or is it just like pure determination from a mental perspective? I, in that race, honestly, like I was just listening for the lap splits. I just became like this robot and I don't really know what other thoughts I had. There were like no real thoughts. There was just like no room (laughs) because I was just on a mission and I didn't really even look at the laps. I just was like, we have to be on this pace for a very, very long time. That's a, that's great though. Cause like, that is the one thing that the track affords you is it forces you to break it down. Yeah. Cause you're like, okay, I did that circuit. Now I have to do it again. Okay. Now I have to do it again. And in some ways that like does, I would imagine pull you out of like the total duration of the event to be like one more 75 one more 75, one more 75. Yeah. And that that might be good advice for other people, even if they're doing a road race, like just get to the next like signpost or whatever. I don't know. (laughs) That was part of my like mental plan was to take like every lap as like a separate race almost, because I don't know. I think just when you're trying to run something like that alone, you do just have to like, you're like, okay, I did that. And then you like close it off. And it's like the next one. And so, yeah, that was like really part of my plan. A master compartmentalizer. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
We should run through some of our other results because a whole lot of stuff happened actually. Starting with our parasite, we had two incredibly impressive results. One from Brent Lakatos, our wheelchair athlete extraordinaire. He was at the World Para Athletics Grand Prix in Switzerland over the weekend. For a little career context here, Brent Lakatos has won seven Paralympic medals and 17 World Para Athletics medals in his category of T53. Not only this, and those are all on the track, so they are 5,000 meters and under. He is also the 2020 London Marathon wheelchair champ. So we know our wheelies tend to have a lot of range. Brent's just good at everything. Over the weekend, he exemplified that by winning four of the five races that he entered. And the races were the 100, the 400, the 800, and the 5,000. And I don't think I need to say much more about it, but the three of us have already kind of started giving kudos to each other of like, oh, I could never do that. Oh, you do the 10K? I'm an 800 runner. Anyway, the point is Brent uh, has some great versatility and it'll be really fun to see what he can do at this summer's Paralympic Games. But we also had our former uh, rundown co-host, Nate Reach, run another unofficial 1500 meter world record in the T38 category. You'll remember that he previously set the world record of 352.5, but in California over the weekend, he lowered his time to 350.4. He is on the hunt for that sub 350. So close. It's going to come. But it was really great to see him running yet another uh, over two second personal best. Now, this may not be ratified because if you go back and listen to that episode, you'll remember that Nate has talked about how many details have to be in place. Um, in order for the ratification process to be verified. However, whether it's an official world record or not, it's still an official time that he ran and major kudos to both Nate and Brent. At the Ostrava Golden Spike in the Czech Republic on Wednesday, Joshua Cheptegei was going for the 3000 meter world record of 720, but he missed it by 13 seconds running 733. Very amazing run still. Uh, Jacob Kiplimo won the 10,000 meter in an, a almost full minute PB of 26.33, winning by 33 seconds. And he was wearing non-super spikes. He was wearing the old Nike uh, Matumbos, which he just said that he was more comfortable in, which is very interesting. But he said that he would maybe wear the super spikes at the Olympics. I love being so good that the argument doesn't apply to you. Yeah, I love it. I <laughs> That's amazing. 26.33 is a crazy time to just run on your own. So that will be a very, very interesting Olympic race with these two Ugandan runners. Also in the 800, Kelly Hodgkin, who is just 18 years old, ran 158.89, a new European U20 Euro record. That is... British team is going to be very strong. They have a lot of women running well under two minutes right now. And Max Bergen also won in 144.14, also a U20 Euro record. Yeah, he just celebrated his 19th birthday like this week. So to win his race in 144 is, uh, yeah, just mind boggling. Yeah, some very fast young athletes there. On the Canadian side, Andre DeGrasse and Aaron Brown each placed third in the respective events behind two Americans. DeGrasse ran the 100 and Brown ran the 200 meters and both are racing in Gateshead Diamond League on Sunday. Including 
a season opener from Mr. Matt Hughes in the 3000 meter steeplechase, which should be really exciting because word on the street is he's pretty darn fit. <laughs> Canadian record question mark, Kate? Well, that's always the goal. Andrea and I actually did a little deep dive on Matt Hughes last night. Matt, if you're listening, you know, just super fanning just out over here. To do. <laughs> um, yeah. Also, we've been in the yeah. same condo in this very windy town of Flagstaff. Um, Chicago, mm-hmm. you are not allowed to call yourself the Windy City anymore. I don't know how you got that title. Come to Flagstaff. Anyway, um, yeah, we do a lot of deep dives on various athletes. It's been a, a great research month for me from a running journalism perspective. But uh, yeah, Matt Hughes, his national record and personal best is 811 from 2013. So he set that at those world championships in Moscow and has run almost every single year within one to two seconds of that national record. So the point is he's super consistent on a high level, but God, it's going to feel good if he can, when he finally cracks that, because, you know, eight years is a long time. My friend told me that dreams realize uh, unrealized are not dreams denied. So Matt, if you're listening, Mm-hmm. So true. Uh, Maddie, I'm going to let you do our um, sponsorship piece of news because it's quite interesting. And uh, it's actually been one that the three of us have been talking about. And I'm sure lots of people are very interested in. So I'll let you take this one away. So Colleen Quigley has signed with a Canadian company, Lulu Lemon. Uh, she went on the Sidious Mag podcast to discuss her new sponsor And while we do not have an exact figure, the contract she was offered has a yearly salary that is three times Nike's final offer. It has no reduction clauses built into it, and it has bonus performance bonuses on top of her base salary. Um, So this is a chunk of change that Colleen is going to be receiving from Lululemon with a lot of job security. I don't know how long the contract runs, presumably through the 2024 Olympics. Uh, however, it's it's been an interesting process to read about because she was her own agent, which I think is amazing. And honestly, when she left Nike, sort of the chatter in the running community was that, uh, well, there's no way she's going to get more money. And she got actually way more money. So kudos to Colleen for both knowing her worth and being her own advocate. And also just an interesting from the perspective that Lulu is entering the elite running scene in a real way for the first time. She's only the second uh, like paid Lululemon running ambassador. Uh, a lot of their ambassadors currently are people in the community who are paid through gear. Um, but Colleen is an official international ambassador for the run brand. And we're excited to see Lululemon more and more in the running space generally. Final piece of news for all of you folks. And I know there are many of you who are excited about in-person road racing returning. The New York City Marathon announced last week that their event will happen in person this year on November 7th. And it will be capped at 33,000 entrants. That is a third of its normal size. It's down from 53,000 entrants two years ago, but of course they are trying to implement some COVID safety protocols. They have not yet announced what those are. I think this is going to be an ongoing process of determining with local health you know, networks what is appropriate in terms of, will you need to be vaccinated? Will there be 
drive-through kit pickups? Will, you know, there's lots of questions uh, that are left to be answered, but super exciting that they feel confident that they can announce that they will be holding a live in-person event um, in just about six months time. And you can reference the article on our website on runningmagazine.ca uh, that was written just a couple days ago about how you can try to get a birth to this event. I will say it's going to be tough because pretty much anyone who is accepted in 2020 is going to get first dibs. Of course, there are always some charity partner spots open. So if you are looking to fundraise or join one of those teams, you can check that out. But as I mentioned, visit our website, check out that article that was written by Brittany Hamblin just a couple days ago, because it will give you all the info you need on that New York City announcement. Maddie, I know you're home in quarantine and uh, three days down, 11 to go. Not that anyone's counting. But uh, we hope that that continues going well for you. I know that you have some at-home training setups going on. So you're going to be roaring to go whenever quarantine officially ends. I will it's be. exciting. Where a uh, word on the street is that there will be races in June in Canada. So I, uh, I think I will be very excited to be back on the start line once this two weeks has passed. And I'm excited to watch you guys. What do you guys have up next? Kate and I will both be racing at the Portland Track Festival on May 29th. Woo! One more week here at Altitude and then back down the mountain we go and fly up to Portland. Maddie, you've uh, already said hello to that part of the world for us, so we'll be excited to. You know what? I've actually, I don't have much time for Netflix these days, but every once in a while when I'm doing a little stretch session, I throw on an episode of Portlandia because I always find that it gets me excited to actually go to Portland. It's just so ridiculous and so accurate. I love it. They reference Voodoo Donuts. It's the best. It's an amazing show. And I actually, we'll talk more about this off air, but I have a few food recommendations for you guys. Um, Because I did make Portland my home for a month. So love that city. Yes. Yes, please. We will be looking forward to those. Um, But we will keep you posted with our travels. There will be one more rundown before I make that journey. And then Andrea and I will be going on to different parts of the world from there. Details TBD. But in the meantime, Andrea, thank you for joining from across the condo for this edition of The Rundown. (laughs) Really appreciate it. No problem, Kate. Thanks for having me. For This Week in Review, I'm Kate. I'm Maddie. And I'm Andrea. And we'll chat with you again soon.